My name is Ken, and I'm so glad that you're here with us on this Resurrection Sunday when we celebrate that Christ is not dead, that he is alive. And uh, about a year ago, uh, a pastor named Chris Hodges poised this question, and it really kind of got to me thinking about this. Like, if you were resurrected from the grave, like, who would you appear to? And I was thinking about this. I mean, just think about the context. Let's say, I'll just say, I'll make it personal. Like that I, if I had gone through what Jesus had gone through, I mean, 50 plus hours before he's resurrected, remember he's arrested in the darkness of night with this kind of this motley crew from the temple guards. And, and, then, and then they trump up these charges against him that were flat out false. And then they immediately sentence him to die. There's like no justice in that, right? And then, and then he's executed by these merciless Romans and he dies on the cross, right? If you think about it, like who would you appear to if you were resurrected from the grave with those scenarios and let's add to it that the laws of physics no longer apply to you that you can walk through any door or through any gate like who would you appear to and I was thinking about if it was me probably you know the first person I would appear to is probably my wife because I need to make sure you know she's okay and maybe I'd appear to my mom you know make sure because I'm sure my mom would be upset at me dying but then I'm thinking like I I don't know like maybe you got a churchy answer my answer isn't as churchy okay like I'm thinking like you know Pilate who had sentenced him to death I'm thinking like like I would probably like hover over Pilate's bed like as he's sleeping you know the drool is still like crusted inside of his mouth and I would just wait for him to open his eyes and then with your best Batman voice just be like, you should have listened to your wife. You know, like, I don't, like, I don't know. Like, I, I think, you know, I think of these Roman soldiers. I mean, these are just brutes, and they were merciless. The Gospels tell us that they literally blindfolded Jesus and were, like, punching him in the face and stuff. So I think I would show up in their, their break room, and when they all come walking in, I would just, like, poof, and I'd be like, I'm back, you know. Or think of Caiaphas, the high priest. You know, and he was part of this whole religious group that were so insanely jealous of Jesus. And I'd probably show up in his study and just be like, I'm still standing, <laughs> right? Like, uh, I, won't, I won't mess you with the rest of the lyrics there. But I mean, think about, like, who would you, because that's so important, right? Like, who you would appear to first says so much about who you are. Says so much about what you value and what means, what is significant and meaningful to you. And scripture does tell us who Jesus appeared to first. And today we're just going to take some time to unpack three different accounts of Jesus appearing to some individuals. And I think this isn't just a history lesson this morning, because each one of these people represents a group in this room. And maybe today what you need more than an Easter basket full of Starbucks jelly beans because they're the best jelly beans ever, or maybe more than chocolates or whatever, maybe you just need to know that Jesus still cares about you, that he loves you, that he's not given up on you, that there is hope, that there is peace. Interestingly enough, the very first person that Jesus appears to when he is resurrected from the grave is the seeker. The seeker. The seeker represents Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene, maybe you go, well, I don't know. Is that Mary, the mother of Jesus? No, this is a separate Mary. There was a whole lot of Marys back in the day, okay? Pretty much everybody was like Mary, and then they had like a different like description to them, right? 
This is Mary Magdalene. And, and we don't know a ton about Mary Magdalene, but Luke gives us kind of this detail that, that you could almost miss. Luke, who was, he was a Greek who was hired by a guy named Theophilus to look into the accounts of Jesus. And you, by the way, you should read these historical accounts of Jesus that are in our Bible. We have four of them. We call them the Gospels. And in Luke's account, he's given a description of people who follow Jesus. Which, by the way, if you, if you went to VBS or Sunday school growing up, you probably know that there were the 12 disciples. These were young men, probably mostly teenagers, that followed Jesus. But beyond this group of disciples, there was another group that followed Jesus, including a, a number of women and a number of others who would support his ministry and help him out. And so Luke is giving a list of people who follow Jesus. And I'm just going to pick this out of Luke 8, verse 2. In the middle of this list... He says, among them were Mary Magdalene, and just kind of in parentheses, he mentions from whom Jesus had cast out seven demons. And then he goes on with the list. And I'm thinking, okay, that's a story right there, right? Like, can you imagine that story? Here's a woman who has been tormented and even possessed by evil, unclean, demonic spirits. And maybe you're sitting here with your arms folded, and no offense to people who have their arms folded in this moment, but maybe you're sitting there and you're just going, give me a break. Like, you believe that, that the demons can actually possess people? And I would just say, you know what, you, you don't have to believe it, but I've experienced it. Like, I've been in the room, two different times I've been in the room with someone who was possessed by a demon and the evil and everything that was associated with that, and you can't talk me out of it because I experienced it. I saw it. And so you don't have to believe, but I'm a believer. I believe that stuff. I've seen it. And it's safe to say that Mary had been hugely impacted by evil and darkness. I imagine she had so many broken places in her life. And by the way, I don't think that she was necessarily possessed by evil because of things that she had done. It could have been because of things that were done to her. Sometimes in this world, there's some nasty, ugly brokenness that we experience. Areas of her life that she was literally powerless until one day she met Jesus. And he reached out to this untouchable woman and he looked her in the eyes and he freed her and he forgave her and he altered her life dramatically. And Mary started following Jesus everywhere. She was like one of that, the, the outskirts, that second group, if you think of con, concentric uh, circles, like she, she's, in, she's in that group that's just following Jesus everywhere. In fact, all four gospel accounts tell us that Mary Magdalene was there when Jesus was crucified. None of his disciples were there except for John. All the other disciples fled. They all left him. The 12, the apostles, they were all, they were all gone. And there's Mary Magdalene. All four gospel accounts tell us that Mary Magdalene was among several women who were there on the morning of Jesus' resurrection looking for him. They wanted to, they wanted to find his body so they could give it a proper burial because he hadn't had one because of the Sabbath being in the midst of his death. And so here is Mary, and she's just seeking She knows what Jesus has done for her, and she's pursuing him, and she's chasing him. And interestingly enough, he's the first person She's the first person that he appears to. Let let me just read it from John chapter 20. And this is several paragraphs, so bear with me. But beginning in verse 11, it says this. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in, looked into the tomb. 
She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied. And I don't know where they have put him. Can you imagine how confusing that would be, this whole scene? Verse 14, she turned to leave and saw someone standing there, and it was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. I just want to pause there. Like, I love the tenacity of this woman who is seeking after Jesus. Do you see what she just said? She's like, tell me where you put his body. She thinks he's a gardener. She thinks maybe they've moved some bodies around, shifted some things around. I don't know. Do they do that at cemeteries? That would be weird, right? She's like, hey, just tell me. And then listen to the tenacity. I will go and I will get him. Maybe she was a bodybuilder. I don't think she was. I think here's this woman who just says, I just... He changed my life. I want to know where he is. I want to make sure that he's properly grieved, right? I'll go and get him myself if I have to. I love that. Verse 16, Jesus says just one word, and it changes the whole scene. Mary, Jesus said. He calls her name, Mary. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbi, which is Hebrew for teacher, Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers, this would be the disciples, and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. Can I tell you from a cultural perspective, and, you know, we, we read things through our perspective here in 2023. But think about it. This was almost 2,000 years ago in an ancient culture where women were property, where a woman could not testify in court because her voice wouldn't be heard. And yet the first person that Jesus reveals him to after he's been resurrected from the grave is Mary Magdalene, the seeker. I, I just think it's further proof that this isn't made up. That if the disciples were making this up, I mean, we have manuscripts from the first century. Like, if they were making this up, don't you think they would have been the first people that Jesus appeared to? And do you think they would paint themselves as being the scaredy cats hiding and that a woman has to come and tell them the good news? It's true. And maybe you're here in this room today and you are seeking. You're looking for answers and you're trying, you just want to know, is there hope? Is there really peace? Here's a big one. Is there really truth? We look around and truth is being manipulated and twisted left and right. You just wonder, is there such a thing as truth? Maybe you're here and you're seeking. I want you to know Jesus wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to reveal himself to you. He sees you. He knows your name. And he wants to reveal himself to you. Here's a second person that Jesus appears to, and I'm not covering all of them. I just want to cover a couple, but a second person, this isn't the second person, but a second person that Jesus appears to is the doubter. The doubter. A guy named Thomas. 
Thomas was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He was one of, this guy went everywhere with Jesus. And listen, the relationship that the disciples had with Jesus wasn't like a work relationship. It's not like they clocked in, they hung out with Jesus for eight hours, and then they went back home, grabbed some Taco Bell, watched some Netflix, and then went to bed in their own bed, and then got up and then went to where Jesus, like they, they went everywhere with Jesus. They traveled everywhere. They were like, wherever Jesus slept for the night, that's where they slept for the night. Whatever Jesus found to eat, that's what they were eating. And so Thomas had been with Jesus for three years. He had heard Jesus teach. He had seen Jesus heal people and perform miracles. And on the night of Jesus' resurrection, I don't know where Thomas was. Maybe he was the one who was going to pick up some pizza or whatever. But on the night of Jesus' resurrection, you see this in John chapter 20. The disciples are, they're hiding. They're in this room hiding. They have the doors dead bolted shut. The shades are drawn. They're all hiding. Why are they hiding? Because their master, their rabbi, had just been arrested and executed, and they're pretty sure they're next. They're pretty sure at any moment, the, you know, the doors are gonna be banged on and rammed open, and, and they're gonna be arrested, and they're gonna be executed, and they're full of fear. They're full of fear. And in the midst of this fear, in the midst of this insecurity, this shame, this grief, this, all these emotions that they're feeling, Jesus shows up, and this is in John chapter 20, he reveals himself to the disciples. And it's incredible. I mean, instantly the mood of the room shifts, right? It goes from grieving to partying, right? But Thomas wasn't there. Thomas wasn't part of this. And so Jesus shows up and, and, and man, it's a party and all that. And then Jesus goes away. I don't know if maybe just as he appeared in the room, then he like disappears. I don't know how, how that all worked. But Thomas shows up. In my mind, I see Thomas with all these pizzas and he comes walking in the room. Guys, I got the pizza. And, and the mood has shifted and, the, and he's like, whoa, what has happened? You guys, you know, a minute ago, Bartholomew was over here in the corner, like, like in a fetal position, like a little girl. And, and you were over here crying. and all, Like, I, what, what has happened? You guys are now celebrating. Like, what's going on? And they're like, listen, Thomas, Jesus just appeared to us. And Thomas is like, okay, you knuckleheads, shut up. Right, Jesus appeared. I know Jesus is dead, okay? Like, quit it. Just quit it already. They're like, no, seriously. Like, we're just hanging out. We, you know, and Jesus, he didn't even knock on the door. He just appeared in the room. Guys, come on. You think I'm gonna believe that? Come on. This is sick. You guys are sick. He's dead. Just stop it already, right? And Thomas goes as far, he says this. He goes, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Now it's easy for us to to jump all over Thomas, right? But how many of us would have believed? How many of us would believe? I mean, we know the rest of the story. We We know the entire story. But how many of us in that moment, in that position, how many of us would have believed? So here's what happens in John chapter 20, verse 26. It says, eight days later, the disciples were together again. Did you catch that? Eight days later. Eight days later, they're together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. I bet from this point forward, he's like, I ain't leaving you guys. You want food, someone else can go get the Chinese, all right? Like, I'm I'm not doing it. I think it's Andrew's turn. You're not going to get me again, right? So he's there with them, right? The doors were locked, but suddenly, just as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. 
Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Maybe you're here this morning and you have questions. And can I just tell you, it's okay to have questions. It's okay to have questions. Sometimes we think that, well, if I become a Christian, if I become a believer, it means I've got to have all the answers questioned. I've got to have all the I's dotted and all the T's crossed. And listen, that's, Jesus didn't say, come and get your theology correct. He said, come and follow me. Just come and follow me. I'll show you. I'll show you. Ask your questions. Voice your hesitancies. Come to Jesus with these things. He, listen, he's not afraid of your questions because he's got the truth. He's got the answers. What I love about this story is that even though Thomas didn't believe the other disciples, even though he didn't believe their news that Jesus was resurrected, here's what Thomas does. He continues to lean in and stay meeting and assembling with the disciples. Did you catch that? Like, it would be so easy in his doubt, in his questions, it'd be so easy for him to distance himself and to say, you guys are you guys are whacked. You guys are, I don't know, what, you have a psychotic like, moment. Like, what were you smoking? I don't know what's going on. But I'm not going to be a part of this any longer, right? Like, he could have distanced himself. But instead, he leans in and he's like, you know what? I, I don't believe you guys. But something, something's here. Something's going on here. And I'm just going to lean into this. Ancient historians tell us that soon after Jesus' ascension to the Father, and then after the day of Pentecost, that soon after this, that Thomas actually traveled to India, where he became really the first missionary to India and, and brought about the conversion of many Indians. And it was in India, church historians tell us, that Thomas was executed. He was a martyr, one of the first of the martyrs, because he refused to recant that he had seen Jesus crucified and resurrected. Do you have questions this morning? Do you have doubts? Here's just something practical that I can offer for you. I'd, I'd encourage you, just, just like Thomas, continue to lean in. Just keep coming back. Even though you, you, this, you're welcome here with all of your questions, with all of your hesitancies. You're welcome in our life groups. In fact, three weeks uh, from this morning, we're gonna, I'm so excited, we're going to have Dr. Stan Tharp with us, who is, a, who is an author and pastor. He recently wrote a book called God, Where Are You? And he's specifically going to be answering two questions. Why do bad things happen and why do prayers go unanswered? And so maybe you're here and you have questions. Keep coming. Keep, keep, keep just connecting. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, it might not happen instantly. For Thomas, it didn't happen instantly. I, I, I think it's interesting that Jesus waited eight days. I think there's something there. I, I'm not quite sure what the significance of that is, but I think it's significant that Jesus, when he saw Thomas doubting, that he didn't just say, oh, I'm going to appear right now. Sometimes there's a distance between our doubt and our encounter. Yeah. Lean in. Jesus wants to meet you in your questions. Here's a third person that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. So he appeared to the seeker. He appeared to the doubter. Number three, he appeared to the failure. He appeared to the failure. There's a disciple named Peter who was one of the closest of Jesus' disciples. I mean, of the 12, Jesus was one of like three that were just constantly hanging out. Jesus, Jesus spent so much time with Peter. And Peter failed to pay attention to Jesus' warnings. 
See, right before Jesus' arrest, days, and, and even there was weeks leading up to this, several times he tried to warn his disciples that he was going to be crucified and then he would be risen. But he particularly went to Peter and he said, listen, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but take heart because I have prayed for you. Another moment he says, Peter, I want you to know that all, all of my disciples are going to forsake me and leave me. And I want you to know you're, you're going to be part of that. You are going to forsake me. You are going to leave me. And Peter had the audacity to look Jesus in the eyes. And I think he probably even sang what he wanted to say. And he started to go, Jesus, never going to give you up. Never going to let you down. Never going to run around or desert you, right? It's in one of the modern translations, I promise you. You'll, You'll find it there. I thought you would applaud. I thought it was such good singing that you would applaud in that moment, but that's all right. No, 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 no. It's too late. It's too late. It's too late. I don't need your courtesy. Like, like think, about it. think about it from Peter's perspective. He's like, Jesus, I've been with you for the last three years. I've been with you through so much. I'm not going to leave you. And then after Jesus is arrested... We read this account in Luke chapter 22. It says, so they arrested Jesus and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed, but at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. And here it is, verse 56, a servant girl, a servant girl, did you all catch that? A servant girl noticed Peter in the firelight and began staring at him. That would be awkward, right? Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it woman he said I don't even know him I don't know Jesus verse 58 after a while someone else looked at him and said you must be one of them meaning the people who follow Jesus no man I'm not Peter retorted verse 59 about an hour later someone else insisted this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too but Peter said man I do not know what you are talking about and immediately while he was still speaking The rooster crowed. The last verse of Mark chapter 14 says that in this moment, Peter broke down and utterly began weeping. See, Peter's story of failure is my story of failure. And Peter's story of failure is your story of failure. And that when it comes to God, to this holy God who is perfect in every sense, this God who created us for relationship with himself, we have all failed. Maybe you're sitting here and you're going, well, Ken, you, you might be a loser and the rest of this group might be a loser, but I, I haven't failed, God. I'm a, I've lived a good life, Ken. The, the truth of the matter is we've all failed, God. Yeah. And maybe, maybe it's not with the big sins, you know, the things that you're not supposed to do, but you, you do it anyhow. Maybe you've never murdered anybody, even though we've probably murdered people with our words. Maybe you've never committed adultery even though you've cheated on your wife by your looking a second time at somebody that you're not married to. Maybe you've lied. Maybe you've distorted the truth. Maybe you've been deceptive. But you know what? It might not even be any of that. Maybe it's just that you've shown jealousy or you've been selfish or you've been greedy. Maybe it's been a lack of compassion to someone that you were supposed to show compassion to. Maybe you've refused to give forgiveness to someone that your father has called you to forgive. See, we've all sinned, right? You say, Ken, it's Easter. Thanks a lot for making me feel like crap. <laughs> we've all failed God. 
This is why Jesus went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross because this failure isn't a small thing in God's eyes. I mean, it's, 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 not, like, it's not like it's just from me to Bob. Bob, by the way, Bob, raise your hand. This is Bob over here. Like, it's, not like the, it's not like there's a distance that's just from me to Bob. Like, if it was that kind of distance, I could bridge this distance. I mean, give me a running start, then, man, I'd be in his lap. <laughs> Bob's like, please don't. <laughs> right? Like, the distance between us and God, this, it's, not, it's not a small distance. Think of it as this huge chasm. Maybe you've, maybe you've seen the Grand Canyon before or, or something maybe similar. And it's, it's way too big for you to bridge. You can't jump it. You can't do enough good things. You can't be enough good person. All of your good deeds cannot outweigh the bad things that you've done in God's eyes. You say, well, what's the hope there? The hope is that Jesus came to be our bridge. Jesus came, and it's not just because Jesus was a good person. It's not just because of his teachings and because he healed people and performed miracles. Jesus bridged this gap when he went to the cross willingly. You say, well, it didn't seem willing. At any point, he could have gotten out of it. At any point, he could, he, this was all part of the plan. He willingly went to the cross, and on the cross, he took upon himself the curse of my sin and your sin. He took upon himself the punishment that Kendi Chant deserves. And the punishment that you deserve. And he is the only way to the Father. Amen. In fact, when people say, oh no, there's multiple ways to the Father, that, that really makes what Jesus did on the cross, it just treats it utterly flippantly. If there's multiple ways to God, then why did Jesus die on the cross? No, Jesus became the punishment. He became the curse of our sin. Maybe you're here today and you feel like a failure. Maybe you're here and it's not even just feeling like a failure. You have failed God. Maybe even in the last 24 hours, you've done something that you're just so full of shame and you hope that no one in this room would know about. Listen, God still loves you. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus. He loves you so much that he wants to bridge the canyon, but you can't do it on your own. It's only through Jesus. And I love what Jesus does when he appears to Peter. And he had already appeared to Peter in groups, but he knew that, he knew that there needed to be a conversation. After the three times that Peter had denied Jesus, he knew that he knew there needed to be something more. And, and so there's this moment, and you, you can read about this in John chapter, uh, or no, I'm in the wrong place, in John chapter 21. There's this moment where Peter has decided, I'm going back to my old profession. His old profession was fishing. And so he says, I'm going to go back to fishing. He asked some guys to go with him. Not all the disciples went, but some decided to go with him. And they're out fishing. They're out all night long. And there's this man out on the beach. He sees from a distance. And the man is just like screaming. And you know, if you've ever been in a boat and someone's screaming, like you can hardly hear him. And he's like, he looks at him and this, there's a whole story that goes by. I don't have time to go into all the details. But finally, what happens is Peter realizes the man on the beach who's been screaming at him is Jesus. And Peter, he is so desperate to get to Jesus, he jumps out of the boat and just starts swimming toward Jesus. They all get to shore and Jesus had a fire going. Jesus had cooked them breakfast. I promise you I'm not making that up. It's like in the Bible. You should read your Bible. Jesus could, I'm, I'm imagining that'd be the best breakfast you'd ever have. Jesus has cooked them breakfast and they're eating and, and Jesus says, Peter, come here, we need to have a talk. We need to have a conversation. 
And this is in John chapter 21, beginning with verse 15. It says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Verse 16, Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, this was Peter's name, his full name. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Verse 17, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. If you're reading this, you might be wondering, why is Jesus like, is Jesus hard of hearing? Is Jesus not getting it? I think Peter's trying to be pretty emphatic, and there's a whole lot going on in the original language. We don't have time to get into that. But here's one of the main things that's going on. Jesus is saying, listen, we're good. Three times you denied me, three times I've restored you. We're good. I don't know. Maybe you're in this room and you feel like a failure. I come across people all the time and they say, well, God couldn't possibly love me. I'm not worth it. I had a woman once sitting across from me and she said, I think God probably looks at me and he thinks I'm disgusting. Those are the words she used. Maybe you feel that way about yourself. Maybe you feel like a holy God could never love you and I just want you to know he does love you. He loves you so much. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. You're worth it to him. You're valuable to him. And I think in these three stories, maybe, maybe you're here and you're the seeker and there really is this heart of wanting God in your life. Maybe you're here and you're the doubter and you've got some questions, maybe some pretty big questions. Maybe you're here and you're the failure. I just want you to know, Jesus, in each one of these situations, he went to them. He knew them by name. He called them by name. And he said, I'm here. And I love you. I think sometimes in our lives, it, maybe you remember growing up, or maybe some of you guys still have one of these around, an Etch-a-Sketch. And Etch-a-Sketch is, what a, what a great invention, right? You can try to create your art, and you draw all this, but, but usually we mess it up, or someone next to us messes it up, and we just go, oh, what's the use now, right? I think sometimes in our lives, our lives are kind of like an Etch-a-Sketch, right? And we just keep shaking it and keep trying to go back to drawing again, and inevitably we mess it up again, and so we got to start all over and we keep trying to draw this thing right and I think at some point in our lives what happens is God says would you give it to me would you, would you give it to me in fact some of you right now are going through something where you feel shaken and I want you to know maybe just maybe God is in it I'm not saying God caused it maybe just maybe God is in it and in the shaking he's saying I- I'll take it I'll take your life. I'll lead your life better than you can lead your life yourself. And what God, the great artist, wants to do is create something that is even way beyond you. He wants to build his kingdom through you. And we have this picture, and yeah, you know, Disney, whatever, but his kingdom is way better than anything Disney could come up with. God wants to build his kingdom through you. See, God doesn't want to just, if you're seeking, he doesn't just want you to find him. And if you're, if you're doubting, he doesn't want to just answer your questions. And if you're a failure, he doesn't just want you to know that you're not a failure. God wants to do above and beyond that. He wants to take your seeking and your doubting and your failures, and he wants to create something that brings hope to others.
You have a purpose. You have a mission. See, following Jesus isn't about praying a prayer and then we go on with our lives as normal. Following Jesus means I give my life to Christ. I surrender myself to Christ. I receive his grace. And then I say, God, here I am. I belong to you. Create what you want to create through me. My answer is yes. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll do what you want me to do. I belong to you. You create your masterpiece through me. And we begin to have purpose because he starts using us to impact the lives of others who are seeking. He impacts us so we can impact the lives of others who are doubting. He impacts us so we can impact the lives of others who feel like failures. That's the power of Christ's resurrection. That's the power of his resurrection. So maybe you're here this morning and you've never responded to Christ's death and resurrection. You say, Ken, what do you mean by that? I mean, you've never, I, I, I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about becoming a member of a church. I'm not talking about churchianity. I'm talking about where you come to the place of humbling yourself and saying, Jesus, I've sinned against you. I've messed up my life. I've messed up my Etch-a-Sketch. I believe, Jesus, that you are the son of the living God, that you were crucified and risen from the dead for me. And I give you my life. Jesus, take me. Empower me to follow you, to live for you. Listen, that's the beginning point. The beginning point is this proclamation we make to God, this decision, this confession that we make to God. But that's the beginning point of a journey of actually following after him. And that's why we need each other, by the way. Because following Jesus is so much better. Going on any journey is so much better when you do it with other people. So maybe you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus. We want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. We're not going to embarrass you in any way. I'm not going to call you to the front. In fact, the way that we go public with our faith is through baptism. We're going to be doing that in two weeks from today on the 23rd. We're going to have water baptisms. I was talking to several people after the first service who are like, hey, I need to get baptized. I'm like, let's make it happen. Let's do this, right? But for you, the beginning point today would just be saying, Jesus, I need you. Come and forgive me. Lead me. I humble myself before you. Would you stand to your feet? I'm going to ask everybody in the room to close your eyes and bow your heads. And really, this is just for the sake of, of just honoring others in this room. Honoring their privacy. Honoring that this is a, a, an important, pivotal moment for so many people in this room this morning. If you're here and you say, Ken, I've, I've never began that journey of following Christ. I've been, I've, I've been religious. I've gone to church. I've been a pretty good person. But I realize today that it's not about what I do. It's about what Jesus has done for me. And I've never received his grace. I've never received what he has done for me. If that's you, I just ask you all over this room to raise your hands so that I could pray for you. Again, we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to call you forward. But if that's you, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you this morning. Yeah, I see you, 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 I see you. Anybody else? Yeah, I see you right there, I see you over there. I see you back there, I see you. After I've, yep, I see you too, I see you right there. You can lower your hand after you've raised it. Anybody else that would say, that's me? Over here, over here. Anybody else? Guys, that's amazing. It's amazing. I'm going to ask all over this room with your eyes closed and your heads bowed. And I'm going to ask everybody to join me in this prayer. 
And listen, this isn't a formula prayer. It's not like you pray these words just right, just exactly, and it's like the secret code. It's meaning this. It's not just saying this. It's meaning this in your heart. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I believe he is the Son of God, crucified and risen for me. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. Make me right in your sight. Empower me to actively follow you. I want to go where you want me to go. I want to say what you want me to say. I want to do what you want me to do. I fully surrender my life to you. Thank you for adopting me in your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow, what an incredible morning to begin the journey of following Jesus. That's awesome. That's awesome. Couple things, we're about to dismiss you. And listen, we, we have, we're not even at the hour mark, all right? So you're good. You're good. You don't need to move around yet. But a couple things I want to encourage you. If you raised your hand, there's several things. First of all, our prayer partners are going to be coming up. In fact, prayer partners, if you guys want to come up even now. And as everybody else is leaving in just a moment, we're not dismissing you yet, but in just a moment, when everybody else is leaving, if you want to come to the front and just tell our prayer partners, and, and we're going to need some other prayer partners as well, so maybe it's not even your week if you want to join us. Um, just, just find them and just say, hey, I, I prayed. I prayed that prayer. Listen, they are going to celebrate with you. They're not going to judge you. They're not going to look at you sideways. They're not going to say, fool, I thought you already were saved. They're going to celebrate with you. They're going to pray with you. We have a gift up here. The second thing I would encourage you to do on your connection card, there's a place that says my next step. Right underneath that where it says my next step, there's a place that you can check that says I'm starting to follow Jesus or I'm reaffirming my relationship with Jesus. If you check one of those boxes, you say, well, why do I need to do that? Why are you so nosy, pastor? We, we have something we want to send you in the mail. We're going to send you a resource. We want to come alongside you and just help you and coach you to whatever degree that you feel comfortable with. But we really want to help you to act. Listen, it's not just praying a prayer. It's surrendering our lives and saying, Jesus, I want to actively, actually follow you, right? And then finally, I just want to encourage you to come back next week. Lean in. Lean into this. Maybe you don't understand it. Just keep leaning in. Next week, we're starting a brand new series called Guardrails. And we're going to be talking about is the fact that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to take you out. And God wants to bring life to your life. And he does that through establishing some guardrails to help us to live a life toward him. And so I want to encourage you to come back same times, 8.30 and 10.15. We'd love to have you join us. Hey, God bless you. My blessing to you today is whether you're seeking, whether you're doubting, whether you feel like a failure, may you know the love of God for you. May you know his love. Don't forget those connection cards for every connection card that goes in the white buckets. We're giving a dollar to the Liberty Center. God bless you. Have a great week. Christ is risen. We'll see you guys later.